Hey, what's up, Fuel? How you doing? Everyone say hi. I said, I said say hi. You said woo. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So listening is going to be something we're going to do tonight, right? Say hi. We say woo. All that. Woohoo. I love that this is the series we're doing as summer kind of kicks off because I think in summer we get a little bit lazy, and so let's maybe go, go after some of the hard stuff. Are you guys enjoying this series so far? What do you think? Yeah? Woo? Woo again? Lots of woos. Lots of woos. I think it's cool. <clears throat> I think it's a great idea. It's full of stuff we think about, things we don't think about, things we should think about, things we shouldn't think about, all kinds of stuff that I think we don't really never, or we don't always address uh, as a church. <clears throat> So if you're new here, if you're new here, raise your hand. Sweet. If you're new here, welcome. Uh, sorry, Jess, if they don't come back, I'll do my best. But uh, if you're new here, what we've been doing is this Series 7, where we're going over the seven deadly sins, and we're learning about them. Kind of like the movie, just not a video, so, and not as graphic. Um, <clears throat> so let's do a little recap for the new people. In week one, Andrew Matrone, who is my boss, who I promise you I will do better than tonight, um, yeah, uh, he, he talked about pride, and pride is dangerous, uh, about, taught us about how there is no room for pride in the kingdom of heaven, uh, it's just not, just doesn't make any sense, and it just gets in the way, and then last week, Jesse talked about gluttony, which speaks to my heart right now, I'm eating some things and not other things, and I just like to smell the things that I'm not eating, I'll be all right, but anyway, that's what she talked about. She talked about how uh, it's not just about food, though. It means to crave something, anything that's, that's other than God. And she talked about how, really, if we want to be satisfied, the only way that's going to happen is through God. So tonight, I get to be the bad guy. Tonight, we get to talk about a subject that's very personal, I think, for a lot of us. I think we've all been through it. I think we all struggle with it. And so we're going to talk about it as a family. Remember, remember the family thing, so don't hate me too much when you leave. Um, but it's lust. We're going to talk about lust tonight. Oh, someone said woo. I'm talking to you specifically. <laughs> specifically, this message is for you. <laughs> but that's awesome. I'm glad you're excited about it. It feels good. Um, we're going to talk about how it's different, but before we do all that, let's pray. Uh, God, thank you so much that we get to come to a place together as a family uh, and, and just hear about you and be encouraged uh, by your word. God, I just, I just thank you for this ministry, um, especially with this topic. I think this topic really applies to everybody, but it's something that we all definitely experience maybe too much of in our 20s. And so I just thank you for this opportunity. I thank you we can come together as a family. God, I just pray that your presence would be here above everything else. Uh, you'd help us to see your face better and get to know you better. We all love you, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen. And that's right. I say we all, even if you don't know the Lord yet, you love him. You just don't know it. Um, so normally when I speak, I like to tell a little bit of a funny story. You laugh. That makes me feel good. Gets my confidence going. We kind of learn a little bit about each other. I settle down. You soften up to me so I can be a little bit more harsh and all that stuff. And I like to do that, and it helps us to relate to one another. But unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, I don't really know, there's just nothing funny about lust. There's nothing funny in my life about lust. And if you think there's something funny about your life in lust, well, good thing you're here. There's nothing funny about it. There's nothing funny about <laughs> this one time. I totally objectified this girl, and it was hilarious. So funny. There's nothing funny about that. There's nothing funny in my life when I face lust that, that makes me like, oh, yeah, that's a funny point. I'll just laugh about that, and that'll be great, because that'll hurt. And I've faced, I've faced a, lot, a, lo a lot of lust in my life, and a, a lot of the time, uh, I've, I lost the battle. It didn't work out how I wanted it to work out or how at least I wanted it to work out as I stand here today. 
There are definitely moments, maybe more like periods of time in my life where lust was the overwhelming controller of my life. And so what I'm saying is basically, I don't have a funny story for you. I'm going to get real with you tonight. And I'm standing up here telling you that I don't have it all figured out. Uh, I don't have all the answers. I'm not standing up here telling you, look at me. I did it right. You're doing it wrong. Now learn something. I'm standing up here telling you that I'm the same as you. We're all sinners. Just because I stand up here doesn't mean I'm any different than you. Cool? Appropriate response. Thank you. (laughs) So as it relates to lust, I bet we can all relate, right? And we all experience it in one way or another. If you haven't yet, good for you, but you probably will. Um, if, you, if you already are, you know how tough it can be. It's a tough thing. And the problem is with lust is, is when we give in to it. Things don't really go how we probably would want them to go, and um, we end up doing things we didn't wish we were doing. And so, fortunately, there's a great example of this in the Bible, which is why we're all here, and uh, it comes from our good old buddy, old pal, the guy we like to learn about because it makes us feel better about ourselves, David. Right? When we read about David, we're like, I am not that bad. I've got this. I'm good. If he's a man after God's own heart, then I'm a man after all of God. You know what I mean? So, yeah. So it's, it's okay. So we'll read about David. We'll try to feel a little better about ourselves. We'll read 2 Samuel chapter 11. We'll start in verse 2. I'm going to read a lot to you, but that's because you're not like my students and you won't fall asleep. I hope. So it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch. Fellas, we sit on the couch at home sometimes, right? Watching TV. That's basically what he's doing here. He just doesn't have TV yet. Maybe this would never have happened. I don't know. But, and he was, <laughs> he was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw uh, from the roof a woman bathing. Okay. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. Uh, you know, sitting on the couch, you're watching TV, see somebody on TV, you do the Google image thing, and now things aren't going so well, right? So, so uh, one said, it is, is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from uncleanness. That's important. It's in uh, parentheses there because of what's about to come next so that it makes sense biologically. Um, I'll explain that to you. When ladies in that time had their shark week, if you will, you know what I mean? Um, You know what I'm saying? Is that inappropriate? Whatever. Chad's like my boss, so it's fine. Um, uh, It was considered unclean, so they would purify themselves. And so the next part now makes a little bit of sense how it could possibly happen. Um, I'm sorry. Woo! I stole that from my wife. Uh, then, Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived. Oh, that makes sense. And she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Okay. So here's what goes on to happen, right? So then David tries to cover it up because he's, he's the king of Israel and this probably, isn't, this probably frowned upon a little bit. And uh, he has Uriah, who is one of his top soldiers, sent home, hoping that Uriah would go home, have some dinner, drink some wine, and sleep with his wife, and then it would be his baby. It would look like it was his baby. But Uriah is a soldier, and he, no matter where he went, if his other soldier friends were in battle he was going to behave as if he was in battle also, so he would not go home. He actually slept on the ground in front of the king's house. So David's a little bit frustrated because this isn't really working out how he wants it to go. He needs to cover this thing up. It can't get out in the open. And then he, so what he does is he invites Uriah to his house for dinner. Can't say no. He's the king. He's kind of your boss. You got to go. David gets him drunk, 
in hopes that now he will sleep with Bathsheba. Turns out he just sleeps where the servants are. Apparently that was it for him. That was, that's all it took. That's as many tries as he was going to do because then David sends Uriah off. You know, if he won't sleep with his wife, well, then the only thing I can possibly do, the only possible thing I could do is get rid of him. It's the only thing that's imaginable because I've, I've, I've gotten myself into a place I don't want to be and now I've got to get rid of him. Now, as king, David had a lot of rights, but being the king of the Jews, adultery, definitely not one of them. There's this little thing, the Ten Commandments, the Jews are all about it. I don't know if you've heard of it. Pretty simple, pretty basic. Don't break those. So that was not one of his rights. <clears throat> Let's pick it back up in verse 14. In the morning, David wrote a letter. I'm not really sure. I think that's Yoab. Uh, I think it is, according to like how it's pronounced in the little thing. I don't really know how to read those either. So, And... Uh, <clears throat> Sent it by the hand of Uriah. Funny enough, Uriah is carrying his own death letter. Um, in the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. Okay, so David's original lust issue has now turned into a bit of a murder issue. And he's killing someone uh, by his hand in a sense. And so he sent Uriah to a place that he knew Uriah was going to die. This whole thing's done. I'm good now. It's fine. He's out of the picture. I don't have to deal with this matter openly. Verse 26. When the, when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, <clears throat> David sent and brought her to his house. And she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. This is not something you ever want to hear. You've displeased the Lord. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to give Bathsheba the benefit of the doubt here. I think she did love her husband. I think that she just made a little bit of a mental mistake, a little bit of a lust error. I think that she loved him. I believe she loved him. I believe she mourned for him. But when we first read stories about David, because we like to feel better about ourselves, right, we always put all the blame, okay, this is David's fault. He's a murderer. He's a, he cheated. He's, he's, he's a bad dude. We read about this a lot, and he's one of you know, the, the Christian models because he's so broken and yet saved. But I don't think David's entirely to blame here. It doesn't say that David forced himself onto Bathsheba. It doesn't say that she put up a fight. It doesn't say that he raped her. It doesn't say any of that. David had status. He was a king, right? He was anointed by God. That's pretty awesome. Uh, had power, and he was royalty. And I think that Bathsheba lusted after the sexual attention that she was getting from David. David's like the most popular guy in Israel. So, you know, like getting attention from him was like Bella getting attention from Edward, you know, and you know, and ended up, you know, having her in places doing things she didn't want to do, like maybe being a vampire, probably not the best. But, um, yeah, I've seen it, only to make fun of it. Leave me alone. And I think, <laughs> I, think, I think this is where the difference lies for lust for men and women. Now, the definition of lust, according to dictionary.com, is intense sexual desire or appetite. And I think that for men and women, that sexual desire looks a little bit different. For men, for David, the lust is for sex, just the way it is. For women, for Bathsheba, the lust is for sexual attention. Now, ladies, <clears throat> you get to go first. Let me talk to you for a little bit about the fellas. As fellas, uh, we're surrounded by sex. It's everywhere. Not that you aren't, but it's just a little bit different. And, and what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is, like, what's the saying for advertising? Sex sells. And I will illustrate to you who they're trying to sell it to with this example. Who knows what GoDaddy is? Raise your hand. This is... Okay, you've heard of it. Who knows what GoDaddy actually does? A lot less people, okay? <laughs> Let me tell you what they don't do. They don't, they're not a stripper company. 
You might not think that's the case, but that's not the way it is. GoDaddy actually sells domain names. And for those of you that aren't geeks, domain names are .coms, .orgs, .nets, those kinds of things. You can buy them from GoDaddy. What in the world does Danica Patrick taking off her little outfit have to do with buying domain names? Absolutely nothing. And I'll tell you right now, she's probably not trying to sell them to the ladies. And I'll admit that's a little bit sexist, but it's the sex sells thing. It's the sex thing that they're targeting towards the guys. Danica Patrick. Ladies, because of your lust for sexual attention, you don't really help out the fellas. Let me, uh, this is a really pressing issue that I want to talk to you about. Let me talk to you about the issue of yoga pants. <clears throat> oh, you laugh, but you're about to get scolded. So we'll see if you're laughing in a minute. If you ain't doing yoga in a yoga studio, you need to CYB it. Now, do you know what CYB means? Cover your butt. Those are not pants. And we can see everything. And you know we can see everything. And you especially need to cover your butt when you come to church. Because as fellas in here, when we're thrown, when sex is thrown at us from every direction, the absolute last place that we need to get it from is at church. We don't need it. We were already getting it everywhere else. If we wanted it, we wouldn't come here to look for it. So why should it be here? There are some fellas in here with some really muddy pasts. And they have to battle this lust thing every single day of their lives. And some of you come in here and say, here's some alcohol, alcoholic. Don't drink it. And that's extremely difficult for those guys. And I know, <clears throat> and I'll tell you how I know, but first I'll tell you what I know, that you know exactly what you're doing. You know exactly how things look when you wear certain things and you do it on purpose. And why do I know that? Well, I work with the youth, and if I can be told by some of my youth leaders that our 16-year-old girls know exactly what they're doing and exactly how things look when they wear things, you better believe that. I believe that 20-year-olds know even better. It's on purpose. Sorry, ladies, we just had to get it out there. I told you I was going to be the bad guy. You were laughing at me. End of the night, you probably threatened me. It's fine. Dave's back there. He'll be all right. <laughs> fellas. Don't worry, ladies. Fellas are going to get theirs, too. It's our turn. And now when I'm yelling at the fellas, I get to yell at myself. So that's going to be interesting. The ladies are told from a very early age, a very early age, to look a certain way, find you a man, and in order to do so, you have to dress a certain way, cover up certain things, but leave other things uncovered. And to be honest, they're told to do that, and they're told to wear that stuff, and we learn to look for that. And it's like this vicious circle that we just can't get out of. And that's the whole thing with lust, is it's just this thing that we just have a hard time getting away from. Our eyes as fellas, I know, they go to sexual things almost immediately, and our eyes go with our thoughts we also need to watch our mouths. We need to watch how we say things and what we say. If we want them to not make it so hard on us with what they wear, then we need to pay attention to other reasons besides how they look when we look at them. That doesn't make any sense. We need to pay attention to them for other reasons than how they look. When we talk about girls, it usually starts with some lustful desire, some lustful thing. It comes from some lustful dark heart that we are unfortunately born with. And it's bad. And then we, when we communicate that stuff, when we say that stuff, what we tell them is here's some sexual attention and then that only reinforces their lust for it. 
If girls lust after sexual attention, then we need to start looking at them differently and speaking to them differently and about them more cleanly. The other thing we need to do is recognize the game. The game. There are some girls that play a game. Only give attention to the girls you actually may or may not be interested in because sometimes attention can be mistaken. That flirting thing can be a lot more dangerous, dangerous than we think it is. If she doesn't want to date you or isn't interested in you but just wants your attention, don't play the game. Don't play the game. You'll just be one of the nine guys on the back burner. If you do play the game, if you do give in to the lust of sexual attraction or the lust of sex, you will end up in places that you might not like. And either way, whether you, whether you lust for sex or you lust for the attention, it will have you doing things that you don't wanna do. Paul talks about this in Romans, and this passage literally has to apply to every human on the planet that's ever existed, will exist, except for Jesus. In Romans chapter seven, verse 15, he says, for I do not understand my own actions, preach, for I do not do what I want, mm-hmm, but I do the thing, the very thing I hate, yeah, so what do I do about it? I don't know. Oh, cool. So it's, it's something that if Paul can relate to, right, the great Paul, the great evangelist, the guy who got punted off a horse by the power of the Holy Spirit, if he can, if he, that's his problem, we can probably think that every human, except for that guy Jesus, was, is going to run into this issue. And the thing is with lust is that it just doesn't, it doesn't just get us doing things we don't want to do. Lust makes us feel things that ultimately we didn't see coming and we don't want to feel. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 11, we're talking about consequences. The feelings are the consequences of giving into lust. And we're going to see some consequences here. So 2 Samuel uh, chapter 12, verse 11. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. Dang. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord, and Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. He lost that boy. And the pain of losing a child is a feeling that no one ever wants to feel. And let's be honest, it all started with a lustful desire. He ended up there because of a lustful desire. And if lust is the battlefield, right, if lust is where the battle is waged, then the consequences of lust, they're the scars from battle. The feelings left behind that never go away. Scars never go away. And someday someone's going to see them. And you're going to have to talk about the pain. Some consequences are immediate and others, they blindside you. I'm going to get personal with you because this is a personal subject for me. Had I known that someday that I would never, ever, for the rest of my life, be able to give all of myself to the one person that I truly want to give all of myself to, you better believe I would have fought a lot harder to make better decisions. Imagine that. For those of you that aren't married, think about that. There's a person out there that God has planned for you that is the one person you're supposed to be with. And when you get to her, you might not be able to give all of yourself to her, and you never will. And when my wife and I were going through premarital counseling, and this is, a, this is something that I had to deal with, 
man, it was difficult. I felt like I was failing before we even started. I walked up to the altar completely broken, can't give her everything that she deserves. It's a feeling that I don't ever want to relive, and it's honestly the worst I've ever felt in my entire life. I've had friends, family members die, and I've never felt that bad. Band, you guys can come up. Never thought I'd feel that way, and those consequences of that feeling, they weren't immediate. They waited just until they could really hurt me. But I don't want to focus on the consequences because we're talking about lust, and that's, honestly, we could talk about that forever. I want to focus on, I just want to make a point, really, that there are consequences and that they're serious and they hurt and they last forever. They never go away. But, obviously, there's good news. I'm fine now. So, I got over it. I mean, it still sucks, but we still, we, you know, it's something we still have to work through, but I don't, I don't focus on it every day. What, 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 so what are we going to focus on? Where's our lust going to be focused? should be focused on Jesus. And we're going to walk through what that looks like and kind of how that can really change a lot of things. Jesus is how we get what we want, get where we want to be, and doing the things that we want to do. We put our focus on him. We choose to lust for him in, the, in his presence, and then things will look up. There's a third definition to lust on dictionary.com. It says, the first two were about sex, by the way. It says, a passionate or overmastering desire or craving. And then parentheses, it says, usually followed by four dot, dot, dot. We can and should have a passionate and overmastering desire or craving for Jesus Christ. There is nothing wrong with that kind of lust. It's righteous. It's right. It'll make us feel good, which is awesome. So what do we do? I mean, we're, str- we're talking about struggles. You're talking about consequences. You're freaking me out. What, what do we do? How? How do we, how, do we, how do we win this battle? How do we fight this battle? Well, I said to focus on Jesus, but what does that look like? I literally mean, I literally mean, fellas, when you're at home and you're sitting down and you're getting bored and you get on that computer and things start to drift and you're on YouTube, you're looking at fail compilations, but every single one has a picture of a half-naked girl on it before you click it, and things start to wander, if you literally think in your mind or say out loud, Jesus Christ, I promise you your action changes immediately. I promise you that that spirit will change what you're about to do. It will prevent what you're about to do from happening. If you are in a relationship and there's some lustful desires there, if you say out loud in the middle of things kind of going where they're going, Jesus Christ, that's going to change some things a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. If you focus on him, if you, if, I'm serious, like if you're, if you're sitting there and, and things are starting to go bad, if you just say Jesus, Jesus, that name has power. It has so much power. And the closer I draw to him and the more I focus on him, when I say that name, the more and more it literally gives me goosebumps. And it changes how I behave. It changes what I pursue. He's, 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 he's a savior of joy, yeah, these lust things, it's terrible, right? This is how I overcame it because we could live feeling like crap, like I'm so guilty, I've done this thing, I've disappointed you yet again. Gosh, I, just, I wish I would stop doing this and we just beat ourselves up and we beat ourselves up and, we beat, and nothing changes. Nothing, we feel bad, but nothing changes. But if you focus on the fact that every single day that you wake up, you get new mercies through Jesus Christ and you focus on the joy that he has that's in you, that you've accepted him. He, his joy lives in you. 
If you think about Jesus loves me, I have joy in him, I promise you the things that you don't want to do, you stop doing. And you end up in places where you want to be. You get to go forward. You get to be new. We're new creations every single day. If it's something you struggle with, if it's lust, if it's ladies, and it's, you know, that sexual attraction, raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding. If it's ladies, if it's, if it's ladies, you got to break it a little bit. If it's ladies and you're struggling with that sexual attraction thing, just see why be it. That's one step forward. Cover your butt in case you forgot what that means. Or wear something a little different. And think about, like, how do I get attention from God rather than how do I get attention from some guy who, when I'm seeking sexual attention, doesn't really want me, just wants what I'm putting out there. And if it's fellas and it's you're seeking after, you know, you, you're, you're, you're lusting after sex, man, just, just make that one step, that one time where it's going the wrong direction and you flip the switch. It's a muscle. Got to work on it. I think we all want to be Christians, right? We don't want to just do Christian things. Being a Christian means being God-focused and Jesus-centered. And I'm not saying that I'm perfect at it. I'm preaching to myself up here. It's making me feel good. But we all need that. We all need to be reminded of that. If you can just, just flip the switch one time, whether it's before you're going out in a certain outfit or what you're about to say about somebody, it changes everything. It heals the broken hearts, the joy. It helps you love better and not feel like you can't love. It's important. <clears throat> I want to just say one more thing. You know, on my heart lately, it's been this, it's been this, this, this theme of urgency. I sit in church a lot. I listen to a lot of people talk, and I love it. I love listening to Andrew speak, Jesse speak, Sean and Chad are great. But how often do I sit there, take notes, and put them away, and never really address it? Oh yeah, that was a good, that's a good thought you have there. Where'd you, how'd you get that? That's good. Mm. Oh, that's a great concept. I, yeah, I'll, I'll probably apply that like maybe someday down the road. I don't really need it right now, I'm fine. There's a huge lack of urgency, I think, in the church right now. We've gotten comfortable. So I'm telling you what I would encourage all of us to do is right now, tonight, tomorrow, whenever, do one of these things. Try it. Even if it has nothing to do with lust and it's, it's an action in traffic about to go bad. Because if we're not applying it and we're not being urgent about it, what is the point of being here? When Jesus left and the disciples were left there, they didn't go, oh, I'll play some Xbox and then I'll go spread the gospel. No, he's coming back, right? He could be back in four minutes. What do you want to be doing when he gets here? I think we need that sense of urgency and I think it helps us to apply that switch where we just switch over and focus our minds and our hearts on Jesus because they're filthy. So we have to forcefully, forcefully redirect them. God changes hearts. As pastors, all we can try to do is motivate you. The behavior change, it's in your lap. Let's pray. God, I thank you so, so much for such an important message. This is something that I know we all struggle with. 
regardless of our faith journey, there's something we're lusting after and it's not you. And God, it's becoming clear to us through this series that every single one of these things all roots back to a form of idolatry, not putting you first, not being urgent with thinking about you and for you. So God, I pray courage, strength, protection over every person in here, over myself, over the worship, over every human body in here. God, that you would help strengthen us in our will to choose you every time because we need your help. We can't do it without you. God, I pray that for those people in here tonight that are really struggling with lust, that you would just light them up. For those that feel guilty, that you would bring them joy. And for those that are struggling, that you would bring them strength. God, this is one of our toughest battles. It's the inward sin. So we need you. We need the light of you inside of us so that darkness cannot exist. And we pray that you would bring that to us. We love you. We need you. We want you. Help us. Encourage us. It's in your son Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen.